Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this morning. It's the Lord's Day. We gather to worship you. So we're in need of uh, hearing from you as we open up your word. Uh, it's God's word. It's authoritative. It's, it's truth. And so may we rightly respond to the truth. May we listen and obey. May we believe. Uh, may we respond with, with faith May we leave here defenders of your word um, as we proclaim your word. And so even as we approach uh, an issue in Sunday school over the last few weeks and, and in the next few weeks, just as we approach a, a counterfeit gospel, God, we don't seek just to be argumentative. We seek to be defenders of the word. And so I pray that would ring true in this study as we, as we look to the scriptures. Uh, we're not just pointing at others, but we are thinking carefully about what we believe and, and know to be true. And so help us to be students of your word. Help us to cling to your word and be glorified through such um, faith and obedience. God, be glorified through our worship today. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are looking at a significant issue this morning. As, as we walk through this study on Roman Catholicism, we've been looking at what the Roman Catholic Church teaches on a variety uh, of issues. So it began just really foundationally with, with uh, right understanding of authority. And so we're seeing scripture alone as, this, as, as God's inspired word, authoritative, in, infallible word. And so we, we saw that in, within the Roman Catholic Church, you, had, you have this three-legged stool of authority. And so really a denial of, the, um, of sola scriptura. Then we looked at one particular sacrament. And really, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come up again even today as we think through this sacramental theology that, that takes place in the Roman Catholic Church. So in... in um, in Protestant circles, we, we see Christ instituting two ordinances. So we have baptism and the Lord's Supper. Well, within the Roman Catholic Church, there are seven, what they would refer to as sacraments. And so they have a different understanding of, of baptism. And as we saw when we talked about the Eucharist, they have a very different understanding of, of if we, we observe the Lord's Supper, this memorial view of the Lord's Supper, uh, the Eucharist within the Roman Catholic Church is this necessary for salvation sacrament within the life of the church. And so that'll come up again if uh, time allows as we walk through justification this morning uh, to even interact with the role that sacraments play in the process of justification in the mind of a Roman Catholic. And so even as I say that, I hope you see that I'm already referring to uh, distinctions. Like when, when we see that justification is this once for all declaration, as we'll see this morning, and a, a Roman Catholic would use the same word of justification, but a very, very much a different definition of what they mean by justification. And so that's really big picture goal today would be to look at what the Bible says about justification and, and examine just a few of the statements that are made within um, councils and catechisms of the, of the Roman Catholic Church in regards to their understanding of justification and see how it does not match up with the Protestant view. And, and not to sound arrogant here to say this, but the, the Protestant view that I am, that we adhere to and that we're convinced of represents what scripture teaches in regards to 
justification by faith alone. So we're going to look at the issue of justification. So you do well to go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at a few verses there and, and then examine the Roman Catholic view. And then as we contrast the Roman Catholic view with the Protestant view, we're going to look at several texts uh, as we get down to the bottom of the handout. But it, hopefully you're looking at Romans chapter 4. I'm just going to read verses 3 through 8. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So as you just kind of look at that foundational text in regards to this issue of justification, we're seeing Abraham as this example of someone who was declared righteous. So we know Abraham, a sinner, Abraham, as you continue to walk through Genesis, even after the events that, that you read about here, um, when, when he is declared righteous, counted righteous, he continues to sin after that, but he is counted righteous. And so you're seeing here in Romans 4, this commentary on what we read in Genesis, that Abraham believed, and in light of Abraham's belief, he is counted righteous. Other helpful statements that are within this text show us that when God justifies someone, he's justifying the ungodly. So even as you see that in verse 5, it says, um, him who justifies the ungodly. So what that's going to be helpful as we start to walk into this issue is to see that we don't make ourselves righteous and then God justifies us. It's not that we cooperate and do something works related to make ourselves righteous and then God declares us righteous. No, it's that God actually declares the ungodly righteous by faith. And so Romans 4 is showing us Abraham believed and so he was counted righteous. Uh, and this work of justification is God justifying the ungodly. And, and um, it's, it's clear throughout this, this text that it is apart from works. And so if, if we seek to hold the line on what the scriptures teach, it's not hard to see how justification by faith alone is something that, that the scriptures are very clear about. And so it's interesting then to like walk back through church history and recognize that the scriptures teach justification by faith alone. And then as you walk through the centuries, you still, you, there's, this, there's this myth that justification by faith alone is something that was introduced in the 16th century. And when I'm referring to this myth, I'm talking about what, what uh, Roman Catholics will often assume about justification by faith is that Luther introduces it in the 16th century. It was novel it, um, and, and people 
grabbed onto it and embraced it. And so this, this once for all faith is what the Roman Catholic church had always believed about justification prior to the 16th century. But, but that is actually a mischaracterization mischaracterization of church history, but it's already just ignoring the authority of the scripture. We're seeing the scripture teaches justification by faith alone. So, so here's a quote that I just found helpful to begin our time. This was from Tom Schreiner on, on his book on the issue of justification. He says, while some may hold on to sola fide, um, faith alone, while some may hold on to sola fide to uphold tradition, I believe we should hold on to the tradition of sola fide because it accords with the word of God. So there is some weight to thinking about, is this just something that Luther began teaching in the 16th century that was never there before? I mean, there, there's some weight to that. We want to think through, why would it be that no one ever taught that prior? But, but ultimately, we still bow the knee to scripture, as Shriner's saying, like we believe this, not because of the tradition of sola fide, but because of it, the fact that it's biblical. It accords with the word of God. So as we're talking about faith alone today, that's our, our primary authority. The scripture teaches it, justification by faith alone. But I just thought you might be encouraged to know that Luther is not the first one to, to articulate, you know, this in church history. I was even just reading through, there's a book called Long Before Luther. It's just kind of a helpful title. This is by Nathan Busnitz. And he's kind of just interacting with the reality that, you know, Justification by faith alone, something that was taught prior to the Reformation. Um, so here's John Chrysostom back in the fourth century. Um, he's interacting with a text of scripture and he says, this is also meant as a lesson to those um, that this is, this is able to teach them that faith alone is necessary and not works or circumcision. So as he's interacting with justification, he says it is by faith alone. Faith alone is necessary for salvation, not works or circumcision. Later on, the same individual, John Chrysostom says, the patriarch Abraham himself before receiving circumcision had been declared righteous on the score of faith alone. So again, we're talking, this is prior to Augustine, even John Chrysostom. And then um, Augustine would hold to faith alone. He still, there are some issues that, that we would disagree with even on being made righteous, things like that. But, but Augustine would be one who would, would, would recognize the reality of faith alone. Um, here's some guy from Toledo. I don't think it's the Toledo that we're mindful of. But in the seventh century, this Ildefonsus, he said, God who makes the unclean clean and removes sin justifies the sinner apart from works. And so you're seeing fourth century, seventh century, and then, then others who are even much more clear on this issue of, you know, like Wycliffe and, and Huss and... Um, I'm struggling to remember. Uh, Peter Waldo, these, these are names of guys that would defend justification by faith alone prior to Luther teaching this way and others in the six, in, during the Reformation. So um, what's interesting then about that reality is if we approach this issue of justification by faith alone, it, there, it's a theological argument, but we definitely trace it through like this historical setting to kind of see how this controversy all came about. Because there were individuals who held the justification by faith alone, but it would be honest to just go ahead and recognize that 
for during those middle ages and in in those the periods there of just these dark times the majority view was to start to see justification by faith plus works and so the, the, there is this growing rising movement of individuals influenced by the the roman catholic church and, and individuals who would teach in accordance that would um, articulate this justification by faith plus works. But what I'm trying to say is there are still some who are holding the line throughout church history. There's always this remnant. There's always the faithful. There were, there were some who were arguing for the biblical understanding of justification by faith alone. So then Luther really teaches it. Um, and so he and other, one contemporary of his would refer to the justification by faith alone as the article of faith by which the church stands or falls. Um, and so they recognize the importance of justification by faith alone. And so then when you walk into the 16th century after the Reformation and the Roman Catholic response, that's where you find this like Council of Trent, where they think of the authority of councils. Now you not only have like this predominant view of, of their understanding of justification by faith plus works, but it's at the Council of Trent where they end up saying, you know what, we're gonna double down on this. We're gonna not only say, like we're gonna defend this dominant view and we're gonna say any counterfeit view is to be damned. So at the Council of Trent, you have this official declarative statement by this council that officially recognizes that justification by faith alone is to be damned. And so uh, you look on your handout, um, We'll start with um, just the, the way that the Council of Trent broke down. You had the first section communicated what it taught. And so you have, you have these, um, these statements about what, what they believe about justification. And so even the, at this sixth session of the Council of Trent in the 10th chapter, just pulled out one statement from that 10th chapter where it says, do you see that by works a man is justified and not by faith only? So relatively wordy throughout the whole first section, but what they're communicating is that justification is not by faith alone. And so then after they articulate in the Council of Trent what they believe about justification, then they move into these canons, these thus, um, like if any man says this, they are to be cursed. Let them be anathema. So that's what these canons would express at the Council of Trent. And so when you're looking at this handout, I do think it's the Council of Trent is where we'd do well to go to think through carefully about what Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church teaches about justification, because it's there in response to the Reformation where this council made a statement about this is what we teach and anyone who teaches contrary to it is to be damned. So it's no longer just that most people are teaching this way and there are these, these rival um, teachings going on that, that while they might be the minority view, it's not like a threat or anything like that to the church. No, at the, in the 16th century, they, after the Reformation, they're saying this is a threat to the church, anyone who teaches justification by faith alone. So they, they anathematize anyone who held to this belief. So there you go. I read just a, a summary word from one of the chapters of the council that it says, do you see that by works a man is justified and not by faith only? But then moving into the canons, I'll start with the first one, which may surprise you because I do think I have and others I would imagine in this room have been guilty of mischaracterizing Roman Catholic doctrine 
before on the issue of justification. Because look at what canon number one is in, at the Council of Trent. In response to the Reformation, really kind of zeroing in on Luther, uh, look at what number one is on canon number one. If anyone saith that man may be justified before God by his own works, whether done through the teaching of human nature or that of the law, without the grace of God through Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. So recognize that the Roman Catholic Church is teaching and has taught that faith is necessary for salvation. So if, so if we were to say, what's the difference between Protestants and Catholics? You say, well, I believe that we're saved by faith. Catholics believe that we're saved by works. That is not only oversimplifying, it's, it's misrepresenting what, what they teach. And so they're saying faith is necessary for salvation, but realize this, they're not saying that faith is sufficient for salvation. And so when you look at that canon, you're seeing the necessity of faith because you can't, man just can't save himself by works. Uh, we need God to save us. You can't do it without the grace of God to be saved. Anyone who says that it's by works without the grace of God, let him be anathema. So canon number one establishes in the Roman Catholic Church that faith is necessary for salvation. But then move down to canon number nine. This is the one that ought to really grab you, catch your attention, and recognize, wow, they just anathematized me. Canon nine. If anyone says that by faith alone the impious is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to be obtaining the grace of justification and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will. Let him be anathema. Just real quick, call out a couple of the problems here in canon number nine. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, you've seen that. Nothing else is required to cooperate. Uh, even, do you notice that statement of obtaining? Like you're seeing this, um, this ongoing process, but it just starts out strong. Anyone who says it's faith alone that saves, and then it goes on to kind of walk through what, what, they're, what they're saying. Um, they anathematize uh, sola fide at the Council of Trent. And so here's what you're realizing between these two canons. And of course, I'm not reading all of the different canons, but canon number one is saying faith is necessary. Canon number nine is saying faith is not sufficient. So I found this really helpful, like R.C. Sproul kind of walking through how, how to kind of picture what, what this, how this matters. He's like, think of like fire. Oxygen is necessary for fire. But if oxygen was sufficient for fire, we'd be in a lot of trouble right now and we would want that fire alarm going off. But um, because it'd be fire, like, but oxygen is not sufficient for fire. You can't have fire without oxygen. But uh, if you have oxygen, it doesn't just mean that there's gonna be fire. And so what the Roman Catholic understanding of faith is, is you can't be saved apart from faith. There's this cooperating work that's going on between God and man where, where God, by grace, kind of enables someone to, um, to respond and begin, by faith, this process of justification. But, uh, but faith is not enough. There, there's additional 
necessities to be saved. So faith plus works is what canon number nine is officially declaring there in, at, in 1551 at this sixth session. So, so Catholics and Protestants are not in agreement on justification. That may sound like obvious, but there are just countless attempts, even in all of our lifetime, where they continue to try and reconcile these two uh, doctrines. Uh, so you have numerous movements which, um, between the evangelicals and Catholics together, or this like Lutheran and Catholic um, statement where they're trying to say, hey, listen, we've just misunderstood each other. We believe the same things about the things that matter most. We're together so let, let's, um, let's just embrace that. The Reformation is over. That kind of understanding that many people want and desire, and it's just not true. Um, the Council of Trent is a council. And so do you remember like the week one when we talked about this? This was, a, this was an infallible statement from the church. And so, uh, so it's, they still adhere to the Council of Trent. So then if you even turn down, uh, well, look down in your handout, you can move into the catechism of the Catholic Church. That's you know, 1994 when they draft this. So we're not talking about 16th century anymore. And at the catechism of the Catholic Church, you see Trent defended and even quoted in, in the catechism. And so uh, number 1989 in the catechism walks through an understanding of justification in the Catholic mind. The first work of the grace of the Holy Spirit is conversion, affecting justification in accordance with Jesus' proclamation, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Moved by grace, man turns toward God and away from sin, thus accepting forgiveness and righteousness from on high. Justification is not only the remission of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the interior man. So that's going to be significant as we, as we start walking through the contrasting the two views. You're seeing one of the major problems uh, with just the, when I say problems, one of the, the deadly errors of, of this teaching is that the Roman Catholic Church blends um, both justification and sanctification together. So justification includes this process of sanctification, but even still, a, a, mis, a different understanding of both of those words as well. Okay, so justification and sanctification would mean different things here, but, but the catechism is teaching in this cooperating activity between man and God, where, where man chooses, turns toward God, begins this um, process by accepting forgiveness, uh, justification uh, is the remission of sins, but it is more than just that. It's the renewal of the interior man. The process of justification is communicated there in the catechism. Okay, look down at the next one, 1992, the, the number 1992. Justification has been merited for us by the passion of Christ who offered himself on the cross as a living victim, holy and pleasing to God, and whose blood has become the instrument of atonement for the sins of all men. Justification is conferred in baptism, the sacrament of faith. It conforms us to the righteousness of God who makes us inwardly just by the power of his mercy. Its purpose is the glory of God and of Christ and the gift of eternal life. So you see just a glaring um, text at the very middle of this to see we're going we're gonna to get down to what is the instrumental cause of justification. 
And so I hope all of us, by the end of this time here, we would say, what, what is the instrumental cause? Well, it is faith. It's faith alone that is the instrument by which we are justified before God, how we are made righteous before God. Well, in the Roman Catholic Church, here in the catechism, we're seeing what is the instrumental cause of justification? Baptism. And so, so we, need to, we need to interact with that here in a few moments, the instrumental cause. Let's just look at one other very small section. This is 1995. Um, justification entails the sanctification of his whole being. And so I... We can't look at everything. I don't, I truly don't believe I'm misrepresenting anything, but I am just picking out problems that I see. As we don't read through the entire um, Council of Trent. Uh, you may, um, <laughs> but we're not doing that here. And, and the more I've been interacting with like Roman Catholic doctrine, I do find this to be a very like discouraging study. <laughs> As it like, if you, cause you find yourself looking more at like, error than you do at truth. And so it's really kind of weighed on me a little bit thinking through some of these things. So let's, let's get to what the Bible says then. I think it's right and important for us to, if we're going to contrast, to look at some of the things that they teach about justification. But, uh, but I attempted to summarize some of the, these key distinctions, the, the opposing views of the Catholic view and the, and the Protestant view in regards to justification. And so you're seeing that truly the Roman Catholic view is, just, uh, is faith plus works. And, um, and the Protestant view is, is faith alone. So um, I think I'm looking at something different than you guys are, but is, is that, do you have that in brackets there done a little, like a little, yeah. so, okay, good deal. All right, so that's what I want us to interact on. I, I see some hands up, but I think I just knowing if we got 11 minutes and primarily we've been talking about error rather than truth, I just think I'm gonna have to march on through. So, so the Roman Catholic view teaches, you know, faith plus works. Protestant view is faith alone. Turn back one page if you're still in Romans 4. Look at, look at Romans 3. Faith alone. Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So just a very clear statement in verse 20, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight sight. Uh, turn a couple pages over to the right. Romans 11 verse 6. So there is this remnant chosen by grace and verse 6 says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So you can't say faith plus works because we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And so if you start saying that our faith is um, not sufficient, it's necessary, but we also have to work for it, then that faith plus works negates grace alone because if it's works, it's no longer grace. Verse six, uh, 
no longer, it, it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. So I do think you can just begin, if you're gonna summarize the two, the differences between the two, you're saying Catholics would teach that justification is by faith plus works. And, and um, Protestants would say justification is by faith alone. So you wanna be real careful to represent that accurately. And so then if you kind of like walk through um, what, what we're allowed to stay on, on that right side of your handout looking at what the Protestant view is, it, it teaches that, um, that justification is not us being made righteous, but when God justifies a sinner, he is declaring a sinner righteous. And so when you see those two words that I have, the Roman Catholic view would teach a transformative view. I mean, you heard that in these statements regarding relating justification and sanctification, but also just viewing this process language and um, the cooperative work that's going on. They would understand justification as being this process of being transformed into godliness. So it's not that, that um, Christ died for, or God doesn't justify the ungodly. God justifies the godly. Those who are being transformed in godliness would be the, the Roman Catholic mindset. That's this transformative understanding of, the, of, of justification. Whereas the Bible would teach, as you read through in, in Romans 4, when we began our time, that um, justification is being declared righteous. So if you think of the wor word forensic, you know, we're referring to this like legal status. So if, um, if Roman Catholics are teaching this actual righteousness is what justifies, inherent righteousness is what justifies. And we're saying, no, the Bible actually teaches that, that God justifies the ungodly. He, by, you respond in faith and by faith, um, God counts you righteous. So the forensic view of justification is saying that we are declared righteous by God. So if you think of a judge, if somebody has committed a crime, you know, and they're, they're guilty of this crime and the judge declares them guilty, you know, he didn't, he's, he's making a declaration on what they, they, they're declared guilty. So then when you think in our understanding of justification, when, when Christ dies in our place, um, pays for our sin, that, uh, and then we are credited with Christ's righteousness. Justification is God looking at a sinner and declaring him righteous based on the righteousness of Christ. And so, so justification by faith alone communicates this forensic understanding of justification. We are declared righteous. And so then if it's a declaration it is an instantaneous reality. When we are justified, we are declared righteous. It's this once-for-all declaration. So process, no. Declaration, instantaneous, yes. So the Protestant view teaches we're declared righteous, and it's an instantaneous, instantaneous reality. It is not a process that includes growing in godliness, not a process that includes sanctification. Okay, so then move down to this next line. So justification by faith alone is this, this declaration of righteousness, this once-for-all declaration of righteousness based upon the righteousness of Christ. So, so look, at, look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. 
Remember what I said when we looked at Romans 4, I said Abraham was st- still a sinner, but he was declared righteous. He was counted righteous. So when you, on what basis? You know, you think 2 Corinthians 5.21 shows us, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So when we're thinking of the gospel, and thinking of that God, um, the father sent his son. He made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf. He made him who knew no sin. Uh, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 then speaks to this imputation of, of Christ's righteousness. We are credit, we, we are, he takes our sin. Our sin is imputed to him. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And we are imputed with Christ's righteousness. We are counted righteous because we are imputed with Christ's righteousness. It's interesting if you're going to even think like well, the way Luther would describe this. So he would say in order for us to be right before God, we need a righteousness that is outside of ourselves. We can't save ourselves by our own righteousness. Our only hope is a righteousness outside of ourselves. And so he would refer to that as an alien righteousness. We need this alien righteousness in order to be in a right relationship with God. And so, so this, the imputation of, of Christ's righteousness. So then in light of the imputation, Luther would recognize this. And I am simultaneously a saint and a sinner is what he would understand. And being justified before God, counted righteous before him, I've sinned against him, my sins have been forgiven, I've been declared righteous, and so as I grow in godliness, I am simul eustus et peccator. I am at the same time just and a sinner, is what, what Luther would say, based on the righteousness of Christ. I am just before God. I am in a right relationship with God because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. So how that is contrasted with the Roman Catholic Church is they would, they, their hope is in an inherent righteousness, not a, not a righteousness outside of themselves, but an inherent righteousness. It's still a work of grace in their minds that God does in this cooperating work that goes on, but, but it is an inherent righteousness that, that they're trusting in, not a righteousness outside of themselves, the only righteousness that would satisfy God's just demands. So uh, justification by faith alone is forensic. It's instantaneous declaration based on the imputed righteousness of Christ. And again, what is the instrumental cause in this? This is, this is just huge. It's, it's almost stuns you to read there in that catechism. What, what, is, what is the instrument by which someone is justified? The instrumental cause, it's baptism uh, in the Catholic understanding. And we're saying, no, no, no. What is the instrumental cause? It is faith. And so if you think like, you know, Galatians chapter two, just a cross-reference there to think through um, faith as this instrumental cause. Galatians 2, 16. um, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. 
because by works of the law, no one will be justified. There's no work that we can do to be justified. We are justified by faith. What is the instrumental cause of justification? Faith. And so I keep saying like instrumental cause here. I'll, I'll refer back again to R.C. Sproul, just kind of walking through like in the, um, in the mind of, of, of the, during the 16th century, you know, there might be many thinking through like in philosophical terms of, of causation. And so, so if you're thinking of, of causation and even like um, Aristotle would, would have walked through, like if you think of like a, a statue and you're trying to think of the causation of this statue, you know, it's made of marble. So if you're interacting with, what's the material cause of this statue? You think, well, marble. Marble is the materials that made this statue. Um, what's what's the, the formal cause behind, the statue just didn't happen, what's the formal cause? You think, well, somebody like drew it out, planned it in their mind, made a plan, formed in their mind what they're gonna do with this material. That's the, the formal cause of the statue. Um, what's the final cause of the statue? It might be, I'm gonna place this in my front yard for all to see. That's the, that's, that's the purpose for this. So I'm gonna, marble is the material, the blueprints are, is the form, uh, the goal for where I'm gonna put it, that's the final cause. What's the efficient cause of the sculpture? The efficient cause is gonna be the sculptor himself, the person who does the work. That's the efficient cause of, of a statue. But then finally, where this all kind of helps us to picture justification here is, then you're saying, well, what is the instrumental cause of making a statue? You think, well, there's tools that are used to, to chisel out the marble to make it into a statue. That's the instrumental cause for a statue. And so then if you step back and start thinking of salvation in the Roman Catholic mind and you start putting answers next to these causes and you get, what is it if justification is this, you know, goal, this final right, right relationship with God. That's, that's this goal here. What is the instrument that is going to, to bring about this reality of, of being right before God? And you're saying the instrumental cause is baptism. And that is just, um, that, is, that is so anti-gospel and, and in error based on so much of the New Testament, but even just thinking of the verse that I just read in Galatians 2, that, that it's not by works. It's, it's by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Uh, we believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And so there's just so many differences here between the two views. It's forensic rather than transformative. It's instantaneous rather than a process. It's based on the imputed righteousness of Christ, not infused righteousness, that inherent righteousness within someone and it's it, the instrumental cause of it all is faith, not baptism. And so then you can understand the reality of this last point here then. If justification is a process, that the instrumental cause is baptism, and it's based on an inherent righteousness in ourselves, it can come and go. You know what I mean? You might commit some mortal sin that just destroys justification. Or there might be these venial sins in the Roman Catholic mind that have not been um, atoned for through penance or through the sacraments, all these things, these understandings of you can lose that justification status. Um, and so that's why assurance of salvation is not a reality in the mind of a Roman Catholic. But um, we know, if you think even like that golden chain of salvation, those who are justified will be sanctified, will be glorified. Like if you're justified, you're, you're gonna be glorified because it is an eternal reality. So even look at Hebrews chapter 10. 
So we're thinking of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Um, For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time. I'm sorry, Hebrews 10, 14. Thank you. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so even if we don't panic here in seeing the word sanctified, because we're recognizing that, that those, those who are in a right relationship with God, those who have been justified are being sanctified. Those who are being sanctified will be glorified. And so our justification is not based on works. And Christ, our justification is based on faith in what Christ has done. And what Christ has done, this single offering has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So there is this reality that hopefully we can even interact with. Maybe, I guess it just needs to come up next week. But for the Protestant, we're not saying that, um, that we're rejecting the, the reality of works in the Christian life. It is the fruit of faith. So we are justified by faith alone. And in light of our justification that has taken place, we're in a right relationship with God. So we're gonna work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Our works are the fruit of our faith. They are not the um, cause of our faith. And so, so that's, that would be just a, another distinction between the two. Because um, I think a lot of, Roman, if we misunderstand the Roman Catholic Church sometimes by saying they don't believe in justification by faith, I'd say one of their big misunderstandings is they would say, well, Protestants don't think, you know, that works are important. And we're saying works are important in the Christian life. Works are not a part of the justification equation. You know, we are not justified by works. We are justified by faith alone. Um, Man, huge topic that, uh, that we just can't deal with all of any of the points that we've interacted with, but hopefully this just kind of introduces to some and maybe just kind of um, solidifies for a few others or just maybe piques your interest to think more carefully about this. Maybe it'll even be helpful in conversations that you would have with your family and friends in regards to what, what I, I put at the beginning of this handout, the, the article of faith by which the church stands or falls. If you misunderstand justification, you know, that is, um, that is this foundational truth. The most important question would be, how can I be right with God? So you need to understand justification in order to answer that question rightly. And to answer it rightly, you have to answer it biblically. And so you want to think, what does the scripture teach about how one is justified? It's by faith alone, not faith plus works. All right. Well, um, in fact, you see at the bottom of the handout, Galatians 1 reminds us, you know, Paul was just stunned by the Galatians in their... Um, listening ear to a different gospel, which he reminds them is, is no gospel at all. And so when you start looking at these, uh, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church at the Council of Trent anathematized the gospel. And so you're saying they are teaching a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So don't hear in that us talking about individuals and whether or not there, there might be some, there are Roman Catholics who truly are saved. Man, I, I'm not saying that they're, no, I'm saying that the Roman Catholic Church teaches 
a different gospel. And so if someone is saved in the Roman Catholic Church, as I think has already been said multiple times here, it's, it's in spite of going to the, uh, of what they're hearing. It's not because of what they're hearing. You know, so because the church is actually teaching a different gospel as they teach justification by faith plus works. Uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the good news of the gospel that you who are holy, who can have nothing to do with sin, sent your son to live a perfect life. It matters so much in our minds to, to be mindful of the, of the active obedience of Christ, that Christ lived a perfect life. Then he died in our place. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So he died in our place to forgive us our sin to, uh, and to credit us with his righteousness so we could be in a right relationship with you by faith alone. As we trust in Christ alone for salvation, our sins are forgiven and we are declared righteous in your eyes. We thank you and praise you for that truth. Pray that we would cling to that and that we would defend that truth, that we would clearly uh, communicate it as we share the gospel with our friends and families. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.